Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Zatarans, maker of New Orleans pantry staples like Creole mustard, fish fry, and jambalaya mix since 1889. Recipes and more at Zatarans.com. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. There's a little something spooky in the air because it's that time of year again. And on this year's special Halloween edition of Louisiana Eats, we're getting up close and personal with some ghostly friends and the places they haunt. We begin with a visit to our resident medium, Debbie Duval, who recently put me in touch with Tujac's famous cross-dressing ghost, Julian L. Tinge. Then we'll learn about one mid-city restaurant whose spirit's hijinks have remained consistent through three different owners. Finally, I'll introduce you to True of Tea Witch Cafe. Whether you're looking for a special brew to settle your spirits, or it's ghostly spirits you're trying to contact, she can help you in her charming Magazine Street Tea House in New Orleans. We're ready for a haunting good time on this week's Louisiana Eats. For the second time in its 163-year history, a French quarter mainstay will be changing its address. Tujac's, the city's second oldest restaurant, is moving a few blocks up Decatur Street in 2020. While the transition is designed to have minimal impact on Tujac's loyal regulars, I can't help but wonder what will happen to the restaurant's permanent guests. My ghostly friends. Now, I've never actually seen a ghost. My most consistent haunting experience is the uncanny parking spot on Madison Street that's always waiting for me when I visit Tujac's. This began when I first started working on the Tujac's restaurant cookbook back in 2013, and I've been waltzing with the spirits there ever since. Of course, there's one in particular with whom I share the deepest of bonds. Many of you may be familiar with the restaurant's cross-dressing ghost, the RuPaul of the early 20th century, Julian L. Tinge. Back in 2013, when Tujac's owner Mark Ladder painted the dining rooms, he removed an autographed photo of Julian that had hung there since 1917. Not long after, a young couple from West Virginia were dining in the same room and snapped a selfie. When they got home and reviewed the photo, there was Julian, eerily suspended over a table of unsuspecting diners, right in the corner where his portrait formerly hung. Mark called me and said, Poppy, I think we've got a ghost. 
Who do you think it is, Madame Begay? I took one look and recognized Julian from his portrait. We put the picture back up on the wall, and Julian's apparition hasn't manifested since. Both his images as a beautiful Edwardian woman and as the photo-bombing phantom appear in the Tujac's Restaurant Cookbook and in my most recent book, largely inspired by Julian, Drag Queen Brunch. With Julian's picture back where it belongs, I thought maybe that would be the last we'd hear from him. But in June, Julian spoke to me. While waiting for my drag queen friends to show up for a New Orleans magazine photo shoot, I was standing in the doorway of the same dining room where Julian had appeared. The space was bustling with the photographer and his assistant setting up the shoot, while outside, the bar was crowded and the restaurant was hopping. Suddenly, over my left shoulder, I heard a high-pitched voice call out, Yoo-hoo! My friend Jake heard it, too. He turned to me and announced, Drag queen in the house, expecting it to be Star Alexander or Laveau Contraire. But when we turned to look at the front door to see who was arriving, there was no one there. We asked the photographer and his crew and everyone else with impossible earshot if they'd heard what we heard. We were met with blank stares and a negative shake of the head. No one heard a thing. This only confirmed to me what I honestly believed to be true, that the voice was the ghost of Julian L. Tinge. Between his cookbook help and catcalls, had Julian and I forged some sort of otherworldly connection? Was his ghost happily haunting New Orleans' second oldest restaurant? Or was I just going out of my mind? There was only one way to get answers to these questions, and that was to ask Julian himself. And since he's been dead since 1941, I needed someone who possessed the special skills necessary to mediate between this world and the next. That's right, I called a medium. A mutual friend introduced me to Debbie Duval. Debbie has been a psychic her entire life and explained to me that her mother and grandmother had the gift as well. She told me that when she interacts with spirits, she comes from a place of empathy, quite a different path than some of the ghost hunters you might catch on TV. You see other shows, they may spend hours or two nights, and they may get something, uh, yeah, I'm here, that's it. And when they do, they don't ask them, well, do you need prayers? Are you happy? Is there something we can do? It's all about them capturing it. Not all of them are on the tape. A lot of times they don't want to have cameras in their faces all the time. If you could just treat them all with respect. Debbie recommends approaching spirits with the same courtesy you would offer a living, breathing person. A little humility can go a long way after all. The spirits are, are still 
they allow me as well as I, I know other people to know what they were like when they were in the human body. And that just because they're not in that human body, they're still very much alive. I invited Debbie to join me and my daughter, Maddie Mulladew, for a very private dinner on Tujac's second floor. I was first to arrive, followed by Debbie and Maddie, who greeted each other at the front door. In the short time it took them to reach the stairs, Debbie's sixth sense was already on alert. When we first walked in, right at the bottom of the stairwell, I was like that cold draft. And I knew the presence, I knew the presence was there. Debbie had only made her way up the first couple of stairs before she came to a full stop. Maddie observed Debbie's demeanor change as her face grew flush and her breathing became increasingly labored. I couldn't catch my breath. And I was like, this is really different, this is serious. Feeling immense pressure on her waist and diaphragm, Debbie described the sensation of being squeezed on all sides. Frightened and gasping for air, she looked to Maddie for help finding a restroom. I asked your daughter, and she said, it's right there, it's right there. And I found myself in there, and it was like, get on the floor. And I'm like, oh, I'm not in a fire, but I'm on the floor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in this really well-kept area, but I'm on the floor, and I'm not breathing, and nobody knows. I wear a back brace. Well, I never take, I ripped that off. It would literally rip the back brace off. I never done that before. Upon removing her back brace, Debbie was able to regain control of her breathing and reflect. When Debbie and I spoke on the phone initially to set the dinner up, she said someone wanted to contact me, whose name began with a J. It was clear from the start that my friend Julian was trying to come through, and as she came up the stairs that night, she said she felt as though he were trying to jump into her body. It was happening. It was real. But then as the night went with y'all's company and he didn't get to know, there was a lot of significance to me taking his brace up. Discussing her physical experience over dinner, I was able to link her sensation with information I'd recently learned about Julian's final days. Maintaining an hourglass figure was an essential part of his act. So Julian spent his life packing his body into tight corsets, which he affectionately referred to as old iron sides. As he got older, Julian increasingly suffered from back and kidney problems, plus other ailments aggravated by wearing the constrictive garment. This corseting illness was actually common amongst 19th century women. Was this Julian's ghost showing Debbie what it was like in his body before he shuffled off this mortal coil? Debbie thinks so. Like with his previous hauntings, she believes this was Julian's way of being remembered. A lot of times some really good or talented people with a good heart are overlooked or never spoken about, maybe due to the lifestyle. But this particular person... He is just, she is, is so enamored with you. She, you don't realize how happy. It's like a little kid having a whole day at a fair or something. 
80 years in the echoing vaults of eternity, and Julian's bubblier than a glass of champagne. This certainly confirmed my suspicions, but I was fascinated to learn some new information that Debbie said Julian's ghost revealed to her. On the other side, Debbie explained to me, Julian doesn't go by he. She goes by she. Sometimes with this particular spirit, and, and she says she's an angel, and I truly believe that, she was only 13 when she began this, her career. The sacrifices she went through at such a young age, if she wants to be called a she, how hard is that? Because that's how she's supposed to be in this lifetime. I was so touched to learn that Julian wants to be known as a she, something she certainly deserves in the 21st century. Feeling the ebullience of Julian's spirit, Debbie didn't hold a grudge about that scare from earlier. And during her visit, it wasn't just Julian's jubilation that she came to appreciate. As it turns out, almost all the specters haunting Tujaks are a kind and grateful bunch. I enjoyed it because I hope, you know, they were happy and they liked certain people around and they like you. And I think it's always a plus when you have good spirits and they like you. Yeah. But I don't think you're giving yourself the credit for what you've done. You've opened up, you know, expression, open up a can of worms. This isn't a can of worms. They are really nice spirits. This is like a box of chocolates. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good correlation. I never thought of that. That was Debbie Duvall, psychic medium based out of New Orleans, talking about Julian and the spirits of Tujaks. Coming up next, we'll meet some other folks who have had their own haunting experiences. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand. Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. And from Brennan's Restaurant, home of the original breakfast at Brennan's and flaming Bananas Foster. Breakfast, lunch, Dinner and private events at 417 Royal Street in the French Quarter. No matter where he goes, paranormal activity is never far behind. This is the story of Louisiana native Greg Piccolo, who was the culinary wizard behind the bistro at Maison de Ville and Redemption. During his tenure at these restaurants lost to time, Greg was exposed to his share of ghostly mayhem. A lot of people think it's a lot of hooey. But in essence, I think people don't want to believe because it's more comfortable not to believe. 
Even before his career as chef began, Greg says he was in tune with the supernatural. I started having these experiences when I was very young. I'm going to say about 17. My brother and I and a couple of roommates, if they would stay, shared a house on Iberville and Jeff Davis. And this house had a plethora of activity. I'm talking from the first day I walked in. I was alone there the first night. We had no electricity yet. And I was sitting in the little kitchen. It was a long raised shotgun. And I had the back of the house. And I'm sitting there, just, just sitting there. I didn't know I had any inclination or anything was going to happen. There was like some soda bottles, you know, 7-Up, uh, Coca-Cola. They were empty just sitting on the ledge. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, one, just one bottle started spinning. It just kept spinning. And I kept going, mmm, mm, this is some good stuff. But from that moment on, things just kept happening and happening and happening. I was in college at the time, and often one of the spirits there would do the bedrock. Now, I was young and stupid, and I would just go, stop. I've got tests tomorrow. I've got to go to sleep. Stop it. Stop it. And then over in the corner, I, was, I had an old dressmaker's dummy, and that would start rotating and going, ba-doom, 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 and I go, stop, stop, stop. Well, I kept telling myself, I'm making this up. I'm imagining this. This is not happening. This is just stress or, you know, overwork, you know, how school is. Subsequently, and this happened many years after we had left the house, my brother and I were at a party, and I overheard him having a conversation with somebody about the house because we never talked about it. And how one night his wife and he had the front rooms, and he was using my room because I was out so they could study and he went to bed on my bed and he said he was never so scared in his life the bed just started picking up and rocking so finally after all those years of going through this I had validation that this was really true and I've talked to Christopher about it and asked you know why would they come into my presence did you know what why do they want to see me and he said, well, they're lonely and they're looking for a way to connect with this current plane. And some people are, as he said, they're channelers. They're, they're able to deal with the spirits without fear. Now, there were many times when I was scared. <laughs> At the time, my now ex-wife came over to pick me up. And it was four of them in the room. So I was just getting back from school. I said, let me take a bath real quick. So I took a bath and I went back to my room and they're gone. And this is a hot summer, no air conditioning. And I'm looking, I'm like, where are they? And I look out in the street, because I could see Iberville from my window, and they were all outside freezing and refused to come back inside. They said, we got so cold. You got to leave this place. This is dangerous. This is, this is real. This is, you know, this is not made up. And that was the beginning. That's when I first finally said, well, maybe, you know, Maybe they're following you around. Well, Maybe they're here right now. Maybe they are. 
perhaps it's no surprise that when Greg was the chef at the bistro at the Maison de Ville in the quarter, the hauntings continued. In fact, for our show's very first Halloween episode in 2010, Greg gave us a ghost tour, complete with fighting Frenchmen and country music-loving Confederates. You do, of course, remember, ladies and gentlemen, it's out of the corner of your eye. I have a great story of a, a guy. This man was six foot five, about 250 pounds, uh, the kind of guy that would scare somebody if you looked at him, was so petrified by the, the ghost, and we'll call her a ghost, who would come through the line and touch his back, and he would get cold shivers and, and would run out of the room and ultimately had to leave because he just couldn't take her annoying him anymore. The hotel and the bistro are separated by an alley. And there's a door that leads from the hotel into the alley. We would often see this, this image of a woman in like a white dressing gown, probably 1800s, uh, would cross the patio and go right through the wall into the bistro. Out there are cabinets where we keep wine and what have you. After the hurricane, all that was ripped down to be renovated, and that's for the first time I saw the original door to this building we're sitting in. That's where she was going through. She's continuing to go from her house to the house next door. I've had situations of three or four people coming in and going, Chef, I swear I just saw her. I understand that the cottages that are adjacent to your beautiful little patio in the back are haunted too. Oh yeah, Suite 1 is extremely haunted. When guests were staying at the hotel, usually around midnight, they would have to check out because there are two French fellows in there who obviously are fighting in French. They knock furniture over, they knock the books off of the mantle, and they get so loud that the clients who are staying upstairs cannot sleep. And of course they come downstairs and no one's there. And that makes them even less likely to fall asleep. So they tend to check out and get a different room. (laughs) Jessica used to work at the front desk, often saw a caped gentleman who would walk from the main lobby back to suite one. So what makes it really exciting is that one of the French guys, and we're not really sure, you know, the lady's crossing the alley. This guy's walking past here. I think there was a lot of... Uh, romance? Let's say ro- <laughs> ghost mans. It was a ghost mans. And so we, she would see this guy walking through. And I have actually, and I'm not making it up, at certain points of the evening if you look to the back from the patio you'll see this kind of apparition standing there very much dressed in a long cape but it's very shadowy so it's we have them here even though the radio is a relatively modern convenience i understand the radio features into one of your ghost tales too yeah over in cottage one one of the housekeepers uh once again, somebody who left because they couldn't stand all the fun and games. Every time she would go dress the room for the night, which is you do the turndown service, put the chocolates on the pillow, all the radios are adjusted to WWNO, believe it or not. We'd play <laughs> classical music on the, the radio. Well, as soon as she would turn to leave the room, lock up, go do her other rooms, the radio switched to country music. Oh, he liked country he music. He liked country. And, and according to her, he was dressed in a shabby gray outfit, and we're assuming probably Civil War era. Why does the sea rush 
2011, Greg was at the helm of Redemption, a repurposed century-old church located at 3835 Iberville Street. Now, this is where my theory about ghosts following him around breaks down, and I find myself asking a different question. Are ghosts haunting Greg? Or are hauntings just a workplace hazard in a city like New Orleans? You see, Greg was only one of three different sets of chefs and owners who held the keys to 3835 Iberville over the years. Before Redemption opened in 2011, it enjoyed a long run as Christian's Restaurant, owned by Chris Ansel and Hank Bergeron. In 2016, it became Vessel Nola. It doesn't seem to matter who owned the lease or who worked there. That place is haunted. There's so much chaos. There's a lot of people. There's people in the ground. And I'm seeing, you know, people being killed. Recently, the Travel Channel show The Dead Files spent a whole episode in the building and interviewed current owners Alec Wilder and Eddie Dwyer. They hosted a viewing at Vessel where former owners and workers came together. There they discovered they shared many hauntingly similar experiences in that building. We followed the story right to the source. Celeste Bergeron McCann, who worked at Christian's during her dad's time there, and our old friend, Chef Greg Piccolo. Hi, I'm Celeste Bergeron McCann. My father owned Christian's Restaurant in the Mid-City area on Iberville, and I'm here to talk today about its hauntings. Celeste, tell us about how Christian's came to be. It was still a church when your father transformed it into a restaurant, correct? Yes. He and his business partner um, purchased the building. They moved there in 1977. It did require some renovation. Um, For instance, the floor was pitched toward the altar, and they leveled it so that it would be more suitable for dining. Um, There was a cry room in the back, which was original to the church. Also, a school room, which was the kitchen and upstairs also, They didn't do tremendous amount of changes, but they did really freshen it up and tried to keep things as original as possible. Now, you worked there, and there was definite signs of some sort of paranormal activity. Tell me about when that first started and who it involved there. It didn't start right away for me. It was after a while that I was there that I started noticing things. We had some cooks that would come in really early, and I was there earlier as well. They would say, oh my gosh, I don't even want to go in the dining room, because it's when it was very, very quiet or dark that they would feel things or experience things. A lot of times early in the morning, there would be a man walking up and down the length of the dining room, which was very long, with like a, a priest cassock on, black with buttons, never really saw his face, but you could when you would look closer to see him, he was gone. Up the stairway off the kitchen, there was a small office, a wine room, and a pantry. Well, if I was standing at the copy machine, often I felt someone was standing right behind me. You would even turn around to see who was there, and there was no one there. And sometimes I could hear footsteps coming up the stairway because it's directly off that door. And I'd say, who's there? And it was absolutely no one. 
in the wine room, you always felt like someone was watching you, like it, it, it was just a very eerie, oppressive feeling. When you went in there, you did what you had to do and you got out because you didn't want to linger in that room. <laughs> Coming up the steps also, there's always a pocket of cold air that you walk through. It's not the AC, it's not anything. The AC could be completely off, but it's always there. Many people have slipped on the steps, fallen on the steps. Many have been pushed or tripped on the steps, but there's really no rhyme or reason. The steps are even covered with non-slip plastic to make it quiet and safer. And people still fall and you still hear the footsteps. It just goes above all of that. Greg, what was once Christian's, is now Vessel, but when you were there, the restaurant was called Redemption. Tell me about what was going on at Redemption. Well, you know, I I guess it was just typical type of, uh, I'd say poltergeist type activity. I heard it, I felt it, it didn't bother me so much because I'd had really bad experiences to where this was rather benign. And uh, it, it was validated on several occasions, one by a, a waiter who was working for me then, who came running in white as a ghost and talked about a little boy in the, the parking lot and who disappeared. And he didn't seem to be the kind of guy to make things up. And I had seen him in the parking lot a couple of times. And once again went, well, you know, there's spirits all over town. I mean, if you think about the proximity of... What It was a church at one point, and uh, so it wouldn't be unusual, but it was a little boy, a little black-haired boy, and I, I asked him, what are you doing here? Where are your parents? Are you okay? And he just stood there looking at me, and then he just turned and walked toward the street, and he was gone. He's just gone. They used to play a lot of tricks on the, my partner at that time, Maria DeLon, who was the owner, and we were partners in the operation. And she would be upstairs in the offices, you know, it's two stories. And all of a sudden would hear tremendous amounts of noise in the kitchen, pots being thrown and silverware everywhere and glass breaking. And she would call down saying, chef, chef, are you down there? She freaked out and I wasn't there. The cooks would say it too. They could hear the pots that we had them hanging in the kitchen and they would just make this clanking noise. But no one was in there, no one was using them. Everything was off. It was the end of the night most of the time or early in the morning before anyone was even there. Um, the, any crowd or group of employees even, and the, the pots would move and make noise. The noises that it made were not real. There weren't pots being thrown. There wasn't anything left on the floor. If you could walk, I could walk in the room because often, you know, Maria would call me She'd be very upset, and she said, well, you weren't here, and blah, 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 and I'd go back and check, and everything was fine. On Mondays, I'd go in to um, do paperwork from the weekend and everything, and we were closed on Monday, so a lot of times I was there by myself. And one day, actually, I was on the phone with another lady who had worked there because I had a question about something she had done, and when we were discussing this paperwork, I heard a loud crash. It was like a tray of glasses or even one of the stained glasses being broken or something. It was just so loud, definitely glass. And I even told her, I said, oh my God, I hear something downstairs. It sounded like glass breaking. And she's going, don't go down, don't go down. But I said, I'll call you back. So I went down and investigated, walked all around 
absolutely nothing. There was nothing out of place, nothing broken. Couldn't find a thing, not a thing. I'm very OCD when it comes to locking up and putting on the system and everything else. I mean, I, anyone who knows me will tell you, no, he's, you know, you know how I was in the trade. I would lock up, you know, Maria would come back later to do some paperwork and the door would be wide open, literally wide open. And then she would call me and it, often late and she'd go, did you lock up? And I'd laugh and go, you know I locked up. I, I always lock up, That's, that would never happen. So yeah, just unlock the door, bypass the system. You know, they like to do fun things like that. They've got nothing else to do, at least my experience. Sometimes you just had to convince yourself this is fine, it's just eerie. Now they were never malicious. I can say, you know, we were comfortable with it. It was just the strange feelings. But the most common thing that all of us have mentioned, everyone really saw the priest the most. Now, to once again show there's some validity here, I was at a Thanksgiving dinner with my friends, the Goodies. Their daughter-in-law's aunt is uh, a spiritualist. And we were talking about the restaurant and whatnot and, and just kind of let it go. It went away and a, a week or so later, I got a, a call from her and her name's Queenie. And she said, I went over there, you're clean. I got it cleaned out for you. And so I said, well, wh what was it? What is the entity? She said, well, it's actually a priest. But he was disguising himself as a little boy because it would have been more accessible to, I guess, people. And so it turns out it was a priest that's over there. Now, if he's still there, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he was pretty active. He made a lot of noise. Now, I don't know if that, if that was the spirit that was making the noise, because she said there was a few entities there. But she cleanses buildings. That's one of the things she does. So there's been a lot of attention paid to Vessel, the restaurant that's occupying the space now, I understand you recently went to Vessel when they screened the dead files. Correct. Actually, it was a great experience, and I got to talk to the new owners and everything, and actually even got a tour of the place. But in speaking with them, um, they told us how there is a baptismal font that's underneath the waiter station from the original church in 1914. I know my dad told me that they didn't touch it at all. They left everything exactly how it was and just leveled the floor because they weren't really using it, so they left it. Um, the new owners did tell me that they touched it and they fooled with it and also that they, up in the wine room and everything, it's not the same. They took down a wall. They made quite a few changes. And Often you hear that when you take down walls and you do extreme renovation in old buildings, it can awaken something that you may not really want to awaken. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like maybe that's what's happening because they're not seeing the priest. But we really didn't see some of the things or experience some of the things that they're experiencing now. We went upstairs and as I was walking down, down the steps, I absolutely felt like someone gave me a nudge. And they were in front of me. I mean, there was no one around me. We, I was clear, and I slipped on the steps. And it was definitely a weird occurrence. It was like there was no reason for that to happen. And I didn't hurt myself. I just stumbled down a couple steps. But 
it was he even said Alex said oh my gosh I can't believe you fell it's them telling you hello <laughs> I was having problems for a while where they kept getting in my head I was trying to go to sleep and I was and I figured I'm just stressed you know the life of a chef it's total stress and fatigue mm -hmm. and there's a gentleman I used to do uh, the ghost he has a thing called ghost university he's very renowned Christopher Moon and uh he said, no, no, they're trying to communicate when you're most vulnerable. Okay. So he taught me how to close it down and like, don't answer the phone. It's basically don't answer their call. Because if you take their call, they're very needy and they're going to want to come hang around. That was Celeste Bergeron McCann of the former Christian's Restaurant and Chef Greg Piccolo of the former Redemption. Now, Vessel Nola. the smell of Halloween in South Louisiana? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. Located 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter, the North Shore's Tammany Taste features the chefs and farmers, brewers and bakers of St. Tammany Parish's culinary scene. Visit LouisianaNorthShore.com to discover more. Louisiana's North Shore, where New Orleans has come to play and get away for more than a century. Additional support for Louisiana Eats comes from Cuba Travel New Orleans, a local travel agency now offering an authentic trip to the acclaimed Havana Jazz Festival in 2020, designed to support the Cuban people through music and arts. Visit CubanNewOrleans.com or call 504-252-9774 to book your trip today. Here's this week's culinary quiz question. Brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What is the smell of Halloween in South Louisiana? That sweet floral scent that seductively wafts in the evening air is sweet olive. Having spent most of my life here, nothing excites me like that first whiff of the blossoms of the sweet olive trees. My harbinger of Halloween. 
Planting sweet olive trees near doorways is a landscaping tradition that dates back to Louisiana's earliest days. That's because in the time when open ditches and sewers were the norm, sweet olives were planted largely in self-defense as an attempt to mask the unpleasant odors coming in from the street. Sweet olives are an evergreen that can be grown as a bush or a tree. Our landscape is generously dotted with old sweet olives that barely reach the first story, no matter how old they are. There are some lovely old trees blooming and putting out their sweet scent just in time for trick-or-treat. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. So if you Recently, I learned about a place on Magazine Street in New Orleans where tea and sympathy are taken to new levels. I popped in one afternoon and met the owner of the Tea Witch Cafe, who goes by one name, True. True relocated to the Crescent City from the East Coast just over a year ago, bringing along her homeopathic teas and her psychic abilities. Every day, you can stop in at her tea house and imbibe in one of her potions. Teas with evocative names like Witch's Coven and Ghost Blood. At Tea Witch Cafe, they don't read your tea leaves. Instead, they utilize tarot cards, a Ouija board, and the practice of throwing the bones to look into your past, investigate your future, and get in touch with loved ones on the other side. Much to my surprise, I immediately learned that the Tea Witch Cafe has its own story about a cross-dressing ghost. Hi there, my name is True, and I'm the owner and proprietor of Tea Witch Cafe. I also own Tea Witch Tea Online. I'm empathic. I'm also uh, a channeler, so I can pick up spirits anyway. But in this space particularly, I felt a presence of two people. Um, I didn't really know their history. I didn't know how they ended up in this space. But through clients and through customers that had come in, they were able to tell me that, that there was a murder in this building. And that it was traumatic for the neighborhood because it was a worker, a sex worker and transvestite and um, well-known in the area and very liked and very beloved. So um, I feel that. I feel her. I feel them in this space. I feel the generosity allowing us to take up this space with them. Do you have a name that, what what the name Uh, of your ghost? Their name was John. Mm Mm-hmm, John. And how long ago was John murdered? Oh, I believe it was probably a good, it was in the early part of the century. So maybe 80, 90 years ago. You know, spirit walks amongst us in New Orleans. I mean, it's just everywhere. I mean, I see, you know, images of light and transparent figures all the time. I mean, a lot of times you'll see them in the cemeteries, clearly, but they walk everywhere. Like, we're below sea level. I type people all the time and go, we're really below sea level with a lot of spiritual, you know, entities. So for me, as a channeler, I'm getting these spirits walking through all the time, and I'm just trying to decipher at times. And sometimes it's crowded. 
it's a crowded space where, especially in this tea house, if we palo santo at times, it, it clears a lot of energy out. And we found when we're doing our seances that we can't really um, do that um, too many days ahead because if we do, then we're not going to get anybody showing up. They're just like, no, we're not going to go there right now. I love that the name of your business is Tea Witch Cafe. That word witch is so evocative. I used it because I, tra I had been traveling a, a little bit up north in the northeast and I went to Salem. And being an herbalist and owning a business already, I wanted to explore their teas. And I couldn't find any teas in Salem. I found spells, I found amulets, I found tokens of, you know, of gratitude, but I didn't see a lot of teas. So a friend of mine said, they already call me tea for true. So he's like, well, tea witch tea. And that's how it all happened. But as a witch, I mean, I'm more of a, I'm an herbalist and more of a green witch. Your menus are fascinating. Thank you. Your teas, there's some of them that are um, spell teas. Tell me about that. Well, we're in New Orleans, okay? We practice magic here. So we've decided to incorporate a lot of the herbs that they use in traditional magic into teas. So you can ingest them or you can use them in your ritual work. True. You move here and you open up the Tea Witch Cafe and you've indicated that you have other people who are working with you here doing seances and such. How did you find this crew? How did they come to you? Again, trust in the universe. I literally met a woman on the street corner in front of my building. She is a nanny. She's a nanny for many people in the area but a journalism major at Tulane and a writer. And we started to talk about, at that time it was the election that was going on. We started to talk about Hillary Clinton. We started to talk about, you know, the election and what it meant. And then she finally said, what's this place going to be? Because at the time it was under construction. And I said, oh, it's going to be a tea house. It's going to be called Tea Witch. And she goes, oh, wow. She goes, I'm really fascinated by that. I'm a practicing witch. And that's how we became friends but I bugged this woman for one year she did not want to be my friend <laughs> she was she was kind of guarded you know like some of us women can be you know I don't she's born and raised here so I mean again just more guarded and I understood that and I just kept pestering her and I just I just said would you be willing to help me with some of the stories um on our Instagram and she was so flattered that I asked her and as soon as she came on board I mean I believe the universe, my father, I believe the spirit of my father, I believe he brought these amazing creatures to my life because I have one baker who I absolutely love, Juliet, and I, we have our, our token male here. <laughs> True. This is such a magical occurrence for me to happen upon you right here on oh, Magazine Street. Thank you so much for sharing your story with my Louisiana Eats listeners. Thank you, Poppy. You have a wonderful day. You got to pick up that was True of Tea Witch Cafe on Magazine Street in New Orleans. Must be the season of the witch. Must be the season of the witch. Must be the season of the witch. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats. Edible content for Louisiana food lovers. 
I've got some big news for my KRVS friends. Margaret and Justin Gerard of the French Press Restaurant are hosting Lafayette's first-ever Drag Queen Brunch. On Saturday, November 9th, my bevy of rollicking drag queens and I will be at the French Press for four courses, bottomless mimosas, and a full drag queen brunch show. Just like all Poppy's pop-up drag brunches, the event is family-friendly and, of course, will be delicious. Tickets are available at Eventbrite, and you can call the French Press for more details. That number is 337-233-9449. You can also find the details on poppytooker.com, where you can catch up on previous editions, find videos, recipes, and even order cookbooks. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Zatarans, and from Camellia Brand Beans and St. Tammany Tourist Commission. Additional support for Louisiana Eats is provided by Tableau, Dickie Brennan's most haunted restaurant. Check out Tableau's haunting videos on YouTube, where the ghosts hurl bottles of wine across a dining room. Brunch and dinner daily with outdoor balcony dining overlooking Jackson Square. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and special projects manager Reggie Morris. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Come visit us anytime in our Louisiana Eats studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. We're on Instagram and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.